So if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And if you're real good, you can just go ahead and put your finger in Acts 19 as well, because we're going to read from Acts 19. So Acts chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you for the opportunity you've given us this morning, Lord, because I believe you got something important that is on your heart to share with us. And I pray the anointing of the Spirit of God to be upon this place, upon every person in here. For me, not only me, Father God, to be able to communicate what you put in my heart, but, Father, upon each and every one of us as we listen to your word, that we'll hear it, that we will be people who have ears to hear. And, Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So Acts chapter 4, I want you to skip all the way to verse number 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells, and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is happening in Jerusalem. This is happening in Jerusalem. So get the picture here. All of this is taking place at the birth of the church. This is Acts 4, just literally uh, uh, moments from the birth of the, of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, skip, if you would, Acts chapter 19. And this is happening in Ephesus, okay? This is happening in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, verse number 10. It says, This went on for two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick. And their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So now this morning... I could go through a lot of scriptures and give you a picture, kind of a a word picture of what was happening at the early church. Here in Jerusalem, we read what's going on. Here in in Ephesus, we read what's going on. But the Bible describes Christianity that was so strong in those days. I'm telling you, Christianity was getting it done. It conquered every idea. It conquered every culture that it contacted. Are you all there? I mean, Christianity came in like a tsunami wave. And nothing could stand up against Christianity. There were cities, there were nations that were literally turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. People were literally willing to die the most gruesome deaths for it or to even lose their property and possessions. A supernatural power was loose among them and it healed the sick. It drove out demons, twice blinded its opponents and made hypocrites fall dead on the spot. And I could have listed a lot of things there. The Spirit of God was loose and the supernatural power was available to this early church. Within one generation, only by word of mouth, everyone within the known limits of civilization was reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One generation. That's incredible. I want us to kind of come down from that high. And just think about what the contrast is with Christianity then and Christianity now. You see, Christianity today, and I can speak openly perhaps of the Christianity in the United States because I'm really not that familiar with it 
other places. But Christianity in the United States seems to struggle to even be heard. I think Christianity in the United States even struggles to be relevant. Why go to church? I can go fishing on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm just being honest here. I think the adherence that we have in the United States of America to Christianity, I think one of the things that really damages the church of Jesus Christ is they vacillate between devotion to Christ and devotion to the world. Christianity in the United States knows little or no miracles. So let me just read some statistics that are been gathered by the Pew Research Foundation. The percentage of people identifying as Christians in the United States has declined over the last decade. This is from 2009 to 2019. 65% of adults describe themselves as Christian. That's down from 77% in 2009. 43% of adults identify as Protestant. That's down from 51% in 2019. 20% of adults identify as Catholic. That's down from 23% in 2009. Listen to this. 26% identify as atheist, agnostic, or nuns. That's up from 17% in 2009. The number of millennials identifying as Christians has declined by 16 percentage points from 2009. 62% of those identifying as Christian attending service at least once or twice per month. However, due to the decline of Christianity, the decline of Christianity share the population, a lower percentage of total U.S. population attends church regularly. Today, 17% of Americans say they never attend a religious service. That's compared to 11% in 2009. And so this morning, I, I, I should have spent more time perhaps giving you the contrast between what the church was whenever it was first birthed, to where we are today. But I've still got to ask this question, even though I didn't spend a long time with it. What's wrong with this picture? Obviously, there's something about the early Christianity that's different from modern Christianity. And I'm just, don't throw stones at me, folks. I'm just, uh, I'm just the voice here. The power of Jesus Christ was much stronger in the early believers than in the believers we have today. See, I believe that the church has come to a place where it can be satisfied with our lack. I mean, I asked this a few weeks ago, when is it not going to be okay for people to not be born again in this morning service every Sunday? I mean, seriously, when is it not going to be okay? That we don't have people on a regular weekly basis accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Because see, right now we're just okay with that. We have been okay with that for a long time. When is it not going to be okay? When, when are we going to come to a place where we are not satisfied with our lack? Or what I'm believing for. When are we going to figure out what they had in that first century church and we lay hold of it? That's a good place to say amen right there. Seriously. When are we going to figure out what they had and, and we said we're going to have it too. 
God is no respecter of persons. He wants to do in this place what He did back on Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 19. He wants to do that. But this is where we're at, folks. And this has kind of been one of the mantras in my life for the last little while because there for a little while, I really believed that I was insane. I literally came to a place where I thought, Watson, you are insane. You have lost your mind. I thought I was going insane. One of the things that you're going to learn through the casting of this vision in the next couple of months uh, and the next month is this. The one thing that we cannot do as a body of Christ, one thing that we cannot do as individuals, one thing that this pastor cannot do, one thing that we can't do is keep doing the same things we've been doing for decade after decade after decade and expect a different result. Albert Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and again, over and over again, and expecting a different result. You see, basically, we're going to come up to February the 2nd, 2020, and that's what this whole vision is about. It's about leaving this place on that Sunday morning and say things at Trinity are going to change. And I am going to be right in the middle of that change. I want to lay hold of what they had in this early church, in this New Testament church. I want to get a hold of it. See, whenever you apply change to spiritual things, it means that you and I can no longer continue to be half-hearted or part-time Christians and expect New Testament church. Are you all there? We just can't do it anymore. And some of you are always saying, man, if I could slip out of here real quiet so I don't have to hear all of this, I'm just telling you the deacons have already chained the back doors. See, what we've got to do as individuals is we've got to adopt Bible devotion, be devoted to the Word of God, the practices that this Word of God tells us to be, a, uh, uh, to, uh, to be devoted to. We've got to also be in obedience. And I know that that goes against every grain that us as human beings have, but we've got to come to a place where we are obedient to what the Bible tells us to be obedient to. And then, I believe, we can begin to expect Bible results. So this message, and I toyed around with this quite a bit, but this message is entitled, Doing Something We've Never Done to Get Something We've Never Gotten. You see, because that's my challenge as a pastor. i got to begin to do things I've never done so as that I can get things that I've never gotten. And I believe that's got to be something that gets into the very core of who we are as human beings. And so this morning I'm going to talk about three things that this early church did that seem to have made a great difference in their lives and the people's lives that are around them. Starting tomorrow, we have called a 21-day fast. 21 days of fasting and prayer. There's a little booklet that's up here on the altar. And I would like for any of you that are saying, Listen, Pastor, I am going to participate somehow, some way, in this 21 days. I'm not going to handle my life as it's been in the past but i'm going to do something different and i'm going to expect something different so after service this morning we're not going to pass these out we're not going to uh you know get in your face until you need to pass a fast with us 
But this is what I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that you'll make your way to the front. I'm not going to even remind you at the end of the service. If you walk out of here, oh, I forgot it. Well, obviously, you can come tomorrow. We'll give you one. Uh, I'll run you down in the parking lot, put one under your windshield wipers. I don't know. But, folks, they're up here in the front, and this is just a little guide that just tells you kind of how to do fasting. But we're going to fast, and we're going to pray as a congregation, and we're going to believe God for some results. Amen? 21 days of fasting starts tomorrow. That's my first point, fasting and prayer. I'm not going to read this scripture, but this is found in Daniel chapter 2, between verses 14 and 19. Basically what happened is the king of Babylon was going to put all of the wise men to death because basically they couldn't interpret his dream. Nobody could interpret his dream, and he was upset about that, so he's going to kill them. He was actually going to end Daniel's life in this whole thing and his friends' lives and so on and so forth. And so basically, Daniel came to the point where he goes, man, I have to have a revelation. I got to have what this dream that the king dreamed, I got to know what it means. And so they sought God and God in turn gave them the revelation. So in other words, Daniel was able to tell the, the, uh, the king what his prayer, I mean, what his dream was all about. So this is what it says. It says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes and made my con- confession. So Daniel basically is saying this. I got to have an answer from God. Whoa. Otherwise, I'm going to die. All my buddies are going to die. I got to have something from God. He was square up against the corner, had no place to go. Are you all there with me? I have an idea that many of us in this room are just like that with something that's going on in our lives. It could be some health issue with you. It might be a family issue. I don't know what it is, but maybe you're right up against that corner where Daniel is saying, listen, we got to have a revelation from God. And so Daniel, what he did is he said, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to get a, I'm going to get an answer from God. Listen, folks, I could stand up here today and give you testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of great things that God has done whenever people will humble themselves and fast and pray. Miracle after miracle after miracle. But yet the early, I mean, the, 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 the church that exists today, basically we poo-poo fasting because I want to tell you something. I'm addicted to food. I like it. I'm not going to stand here for one moment. Well, you tell anyway. I'm not going to tell anybody I don't like to eat. And so whenever you tell me I, I'm not going to be eating for a few days, I have the tendency to go, no, I want to eat. But I believe our backs are square up against the wall. And I believe we've got to have something from God. Not only as individuals, but as a corporate ministry, I believe we need to have something from God. That's why the, the casting of this vision lies after we fast and pray. Amen? Fasting, as it pertains to the Old Testament, we see it here in Daniel, but how did it kind of manage in the New Testament? Well, for one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ fasted himself. He talked about fasting on the Sermon of the Mount. He said that his followers would fast because he said, when you fast. It was just a given. It was just an expected thing. 
Fasting was a regular practice of the early church. That's Acts 10.30. It's Acts 13.2 and 3. It's Acts 14, verse 23. 1 Corinthians 7.5. 2 Corinthians uh, 6.5. Uh, 6, uh, 2 Corinthians 11.27. Seven times it's talked about in the New Testament why we should fast. It was a New Testament practice. So this is my question. Well, why did they do it in the New Testament? Why did the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ, why did they fast? Because I believe this. I believe that, that there is this secret power and, and it's added to prayer whenever we fast. Okay. That, that's as best as I can give you the, uh, the, the uh, answer. There's this power that comes whenever his people begin to fast. Whenever the nine disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, they couldn't cast out the demon in the boy, they asked Jesus, Jesus, how come we couldn't do it? And Jesus said to them, because of your own belief, your little faith. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out, but by prayer and fasting. There is this power in our prayer that is absent whenever we are not fasting. But whenever we fast, I'm telling you, there is this, this undergirding, there's this power, there's this resurrection life power that comes on a believer. The disciples, the disciples had encountered this problem, but they had insufficient power in the Spirit. And Jesus said the solution was fasting and prayer. He said that's where you get your faith. Right before, he, right before he said, you need to fast and pray. He said, speak to this mountain, it'll be removed. Cast in the sea. We, we've got to have faith. We've got to have faith. And this amazing thing called fasting that God has given us, that the church just basically says, I don't want to have anything to do with it. This wonderful thing he's given us, it creates faith inside of us. Folks, we're saved through faith. We stand by faith. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. We are counted for, for the faith once for all de- delivered to the saints. That's Jude chapter or, or Jude 3. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is a characteristic of God. Everything happens by faith. Folks, I tell you, if you get an answer to your prayer, I guarantee you this, that it is a manifestation of somebody's faith somewhere. So how does fasting give us that spiritual power? The new life that you and I have, for it to grow, it's got to displace the old life. Man, whenever I first got born again, it was awesome, man. <laughs> Woo, baby. I was saved. I felt saved. Didn't look it, but I felt saved. I'm telling you, my feet, I don't even think we're touching the ground. I got saved. Jesus forgave all of my sin. But you know what? It wasn't just a week or so after I got saved that I figured out I could still cuss. I can remember trying to do something with a wrench and it slipped and it didn't do right. And I took that wrench and I flung it down the breakthrough and about 14 beeps followed it and i go well i'm saved how could i ever cuss are y'all there you see for this new life to be able to grow the old life has to be displaced as john put it he said i must decrease 
Jesus must increase. In Exodus, it says, oak leaves which hang on all winter long and the wind cannot dislodge them. But next spring, the sap pressure literally pushes them off the tree. And we live in oak country, so you can study this with your own magnifying glass. It's like the man with two dogs. He says the one that he feeds the most is going to win the fight. Food is the main appetite of the body. And so as we fast, we weaken the old human nature. We quiet our humanity. Some of you are planning on going on a total fast. I promise you this. Your humanity is fixing to do some screaming. You might get through one day, okay, hey, I'm good. But the next morning, whenever you get up, especially if there are people eating in your house, you you will smell oatmeal and you don't even like oatmeal and you will go, man, that smells really good there. I promise you this, your humanity will begin to scream bloody murder. I want food. And I promise you, if you determine to watch TV while you're fasting, it's not a good idea. Because every commercial is a commercial about food. Stuff you don't even like begins to look good. I hate pizza. But I'm telling you, whenever you're in the middle of a fast, pizza looks good. Food is the main appetite of the body. And so what we want to do is we want to weaken our humanity. We want to quiet our humanity. Because there comes a time in the middle of a fast, whenever you're fasting, that your humanity just gives up. It's just like that time, parents, whenever you allow your child to cry themselves out because you know that they just want you to hold them. They just know, you, you know I want to be in your bed. And finally, you just go, listen, you're old enough. You're 22. You can sleep in your bed by yourself. And you just let them cry themselves out, you know. And you go in and you don't have any more problems with them. And then they can go on and get married and do the whole nine yards. You all there? You see, there's going to come a time in the middle of a fast whenever your humanity begins to be so weakened because you've said, no, I'm not listening to you. I'm following the spirit man who lives inside of me. Your spirit man is going to be growing and strengthening. And so this old human nature is going to give way to this new spiritual nature. And through that, Christ gains strength. And so this morning, I tell you, I, I pray that you join me starting this fast tomorrow for 21 days. However you decide to do it, that's between you and God. But determine in some way to participate, to participate in this time of fasting and prayer. Fasting is absolutely vital to the life of every individual in this room. It says, when you fast, Jesus just said, Hey, when you fast, you're my followers. You guys are going to be fasting. When you fast, when you fast, don't do it like those crazy people. You fast differently. Read it. It's in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. When you fast, it's vital. The second thing is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is vitally important to us as believers. Vitally important to us as a ministry. 
The prophet Joel says this in Joel 2.28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young, young men will see visions. In, in John the Baptist says this. Uh, after me will come one more powerful than, than I. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus is coming after John. And he's going to be baptizing not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 24. It says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed or endued with power from on high. At the ascension, he said this. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift. Wait for the gift of my father promised, for which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so now this is it. Jesus ascends, goes up into the clouds. They're all looking. Whole bunch of people there, and only 120 made it to the upper room. They went to the upper room. The Bible tells us they were all in one accord. Well, let me just read it. It says, whenever the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got born again February the 4th, 1980, and it was an amazing thing. God saved me. I had absolutely no idea about Christianity. I had no idea about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Young man that led me to the Lord at an altar kind of on this side of the room, he looked at me after I got saved, and he goes, do you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I go, I have absolutely no, what that, I have no idea what that means. And he goes, well, let me tell you. And so in about two minutes, he gave me the whole story of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I taught him. I said, hey. If you think I need it, I want it. I put all my trust in him. He just led me to the Lord. And he goes, you need it. And then I said, I want it. And he said, I'm going to pray for him and lay my hands on you. God's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And he did. I could not speak in English for three days. I couldn't do anything but speak in tongues. Every time I'd open my mouth, tongues would come out. I had to go to work. I had to go to work. I was quiet. I'm just going to tell you. People look at me and go, oh, man, he's dopey. That's what he is. He's dopey. He's been smoking something, drinking something or something. I don't know. He's... I'll tell you, if I was not baptized in the Holy Spirit, I will tell you, I would have never made it as a Christian. I needed what God gave me that night. So let me just tell you what the Holy Spirit is not. I'm not going to get into a lot of uh, denominational differences, but I will tell you this. The Holy Spirit is not, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not to be confused of what happens with the Holy Spirit on the day of salvation. Jesus told his apostles that they were saved. But they were not yet connected in the way Jesus wanted them to be connected to the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit was given to the church to give the church power to live the Christian life, to be witnesses that's what it says in Acts 1.8. But you shall receive this power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. The Holy Spirit gives us so many things. He gives us courage to speak. That's Acts 4. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. 
Folks, we need some people that will speak the Word of God with boldness. Instead of going, oh, I don't know if that's politically correct. I don't even care. Y'all with me? It gives us courage to speak. It gives us conviction to obey. That's Ezekiel 36, 27. It gives us, it gives us the power to confront the demonic powers of this earth. I can never forget the first encounter that I had with a demonic person that was literally possessed with the spirit. He spoke to me on the phone and it scared the liver out of me. I immediately went to some other pastors that I worked with and I said, hey, listen, there's a guy, he's demon possessed and we need to go pray for him. And I'm just going to tell you something. I was pushing some of them to the front. I was trying to take a back seat. Because I'd heard about these demon-possessed things. And I didn't want any part of it. But I want to tell you something. This guy that got a hold of, a, uh, of God and he walked in that room and he said, By the power of Jesus Christ that is alive in me, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. And that was all it took. We have to confront the demonic forces that are alive and well on this planet. The Holy Spirit will teach you to pray. The Holy Spirit will teach you to pray. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and soon he will be in you. Jesus spoke that to his disciples. He says, you guys know him. The world doesn't know him. But he said, the Holy Spirit that's with you guys is soon going to be in you guys. The word that they use is this word that we get our word baptized from, baptismal. It means to immerse. To be totally immersed in it. I think if God felt that the early church needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I think He really feels like we need it. Come on. In Galatians 3 3, this is what the Apostle Paul says it says, Having begun in the Spirit, Will you now be perfected by the flesh? Folks, we're not going to do it in the flesh. It's going to have to be the Spirit. And so we need to be immersed. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Totally immersed. I believe God's going to use you. I believe God is going to use me. I believe He's going to use this ministry. I believe He's going to work through us. Bring us to that place where We are literally immersed in Him. Be filled with the Spirit. In the next weeks and months, we're going to give many opportunities for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The third thing that I really believe that we need is we need deep intercessory prayer. And notice I didn't just say intercessory prayer. Because I believe there's a little bit of a misunderstanding about intercessory prayer. We should never even have to say deep in front of it. Intercessory prayer, whenever we say that, it just takes prayer to a whole other level. Does that make sense? But I'm just saying this morning, deep intercessory prayer. I believe we have to be a people who pray. 
We have to be a people who pray, not just for, you know, our meals. That's not just for a minute or two each day silently. But there has to come a time whenever we as a people begin to intercede and we begin to pray, we begin to open our mouth and we begin to wrestle, if you would, in the spirit for those things that we need to come to pass in our lives and the lives of our communities, the lives of our families. Are you all there? We need to intercede. But whenever we begin to pray, there's some things that we need to pay attention to. There's some things about prayer that we need to be very specific about. I believe that we need to pray in the name of Jesus. I, he told us that himself. And that didn't mean just tagging on a, a little phrase at the end of your prayer in the name of Jesus. But it literally means to be uh, in a certain position. Which, folks, if you're praying in the name of Jesus, it means that you are a born again. John chapter 3, born again a believer in God, and that, that you've taken the position of the bride of Christ. Therefore, you pray in your husband's name. You walk in the authority of your husband. I'd love to preach on that a little bit more. Pray in the name of Jesus. I believe that your prayer must be specific. Oh, Lord, bless all of the missionaries on the whole earth. Pick a missionary. We consider Teen Challenge to be a missionary outreach of this church. Pick Teen Challenge and pray for them specifically. I promise you this. Mike is never going to come to you and say, man, would you quit praying for me? I got too much blessing coming into my life. Teen Challenge is just doing too good. I'm telling you, there's times, as he spoke a moment ago, there's times that are difficult. There are times whenever the enemy is kicking with everything he's got. And we need to pray for specifically for things. Prayer should be persistent. And this is a little different, perhaps, maybe than you're thinking. We should pray until something happens. Just don't give up. I mean, Jesus gave us a couple of examples. The one, the widow, that just, she couldn't be satisfied any other way, but she just kept going back to the judge and just going, Judge, you got to rule in my favor. 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 You know what she basically did? She found something in the Word of God. Now, I'm just translating it to today's, uh, uh, today's uh, situation. She found something in the Word of God that was a promise unto her. She ripped that page out of the Bible, and every day, whenever the judge was standing outside, she'd take a look right here. Line, Scripture, verse. This is mine. This is my promise, and you must rule in my favor. In my favor. And every day she persistently, persistently was there asking, asking, believing, asking, believing. Until finally the judge said, lest you wear me out, I'm going to give you what you need. Hey, have you ever had a kid? So be it. You guys know what I'm talking about. So prayer should be persistent. It should also be fervent. Having, a, having or displaying a passionate intensity. A passionate intensity. Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And folks, if you're born again, you already have the righteous part of it all covered. Because you're righteous not by what you've done, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. You stand whole and complete in the throne room of the very living God. And now you need to make your prayers fervent. Again, what does it say? It says displaying a passionate intensity. 
I, I'm telling you, we have, we have taught people to pray silently. And I will tell you, I'm okay with you praying silently. But it's hard to be intense whenever you're praying silently. Come on. Folks, I want to tell you, whenever your kids get in a bind, all of a sudden, you speak at a whole nother level. You pray at a whole nother level. Are y'all there? Intensity. We've got to pray according to God's will. And His will is found in His Word. If you don't want to have any difficulty... Whenever you pray, saying, you know, I don't know if God wants this or he doesn't want that. Because, man, that's a double-minded man. You're unstable in all your ways. But if you can go to God and say, I know that I know that I know that I know that God, you want this. Because you wrote about it right here in this book. Oh, it makes praying so much different. Because you know he wants it. Hallelujah. Pastor, you're preaching good. Prayers must be resistant. Whatever is pushing you down must be pushed back with a greater force. If any of you have ever been in a place where you felt like something was pushing you down, you've got to figure out a way through your prayers to push it back. Prayers should not limit or dictate to God how she how how they should be answered and i know none of us in this room have a problem with that early on in my christianity i believe that god had taken me on to be his advisor i gave him a lot of advice through the years i said god i feel like you ought to do it this way and that way and so on and so forth but folks i've come to a place where i just basically say god i just want you to do it any way you want to do it It's all in your hands. I'm praying and I'm believing you for the answer. I'm going to let you answer how you want to, when you want to. Don't be like uh, Naaman who, whenever Elijah prayed for him, he said, man, I don't really like that whole situation. He got it all straightened out in the end. Whenever we pray, I believe we should have a full realization of the resources that God has. Whenever we pray, we've got to have a realization of the resources that God has. His resources are unlimited. Everything that you and I do on this earth has some type of limitations to it. If it's carnal, it's fleshly. But God has no limitations. Whenever we pray, as I said, our, our prayers should be based on the promises of God. And I believe whenever we pray, we ought to do it with some authority. Some authority. Don't don't come in like whipped little puppies, but come in like children of the Most High God. I'm a child of the King of Kings. Hello. And you are just Satan's little imp. Come on. I mean, we ought to pray with authority. We ought to pray like who God has made us. I believe whenever we pray... Our prayers ought to be coupled with praises. 
I think it's a good thing whenever we pray to just, after we prayed, we just say, God, I thank you for it all. Hallelujah. I praise your loving name, God. I lift you up because you are the great, the mighty, the everlasting God of this universe. And you are good, God. I praise you. I believe you got to learn to plead your case. I mean, Abraham did it to his nephew Lot. I don't think I'd have ever done it to Lot. He was a knucklehead. Moses interceded and argued the case. Daniel fasted and prayed. We gotta, we gotta learn to pray. We gotta intercede. Deep intercessions. Not just that two second prayer and then we're out the door because we don't have time for any more. We've got to learn to pray. We've got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Are you all there with me? We've got to do these things. And participation is the only way that we are going to get where God is taking us. Jared, if you'll come and help me close this this morning.